0: There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hello,
1: and welcome to another edition of Queer Talk, a queer podcast that brings you a weekly dose of positive news stories and fabulous interviews.
2: We're back, Scene. We're back! Hey! It's Spencer <laughs> and
1: Mufseen, just to clarify.
2: If you don't know us, you should.
1: I like to think that people can see my face through my voice. That's how powerful I am as an yeah, individual.
2: Yeah, you do connect the two. Yes. I think it's weird because I mostly post selfies, so like, it, it, I think people are surprised when they hear our voices because they probably don't line up to our faces.
1: Do you think? Do you think people assume that I've got a very like macho voice, or do you think, they, <laughs> do you think that I've got like a very camp voice or a high pitched voice?
2: I don't know. Um, actually, your voice does match you quite well, because you, I mean, you're going to hate me saying this, and I say it a lot, but because I see you as a boring old man, I think uh, you do have again. a boring old man voice. Like Brilliant. it's quite, it's quite That's calm. It's perfect for radio. Like it's quite calm and clear. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. oh, what about me? How how does my voice line up with my uh, personality?
1: Well, I was disappointed because I thought you were Welsh. Then you have like this northern accent, which is like, ah, uh, it doesn't really match up. But I think your voice is a bit more, I guess, boyish than mine. Boy? Boyish. If you're going to call me an old man, I can call you a
2: boy. That's okay. I'll take it. <laughs> this this youth, I'm, I'm going to work with it. Yeah, I am Welsh, seen I know you're Welsh, but the accent doesn't come through. No, it doesn't.
1: I'm quite you grateful know, you, for that. You know Welsh, right? That is in the language. Little, little bits and pieces. How do you say my name is Spencer in Welsh? Spencer. Oh, do we? You said that the wrong way around. No, I didn't. You said your name first.
2: Yeah, that's everything in Welsh is backwards.
1: Oh. Yeah. Fun fact number one. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So you know Welsh. I know English. Mostly. You also know English. I know Bengali. <laughs> I'm very So impressed. we've got like three languages down.
2: Absolutely. I'm, tra- I'm trying to learn Spanish with my housemate as well. She shouts at me in Spanish a lot and I and I know like the angry words, but nothing useful just yet. Give me one angry word. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but she always says, Jovem! But she says it like that and it ba- I think it basically means fuck. Jovem? Like, jove <laughs> <laughs> What does puta mean? Who? Puta. Uh, I don't know. I think that's a swear word in Spanish. Maybe. 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 And she calls me loca all the time. So you've got loca and loco because oh everything no. in Spanish is gendered. And loca is the female version. And she says, because I'm, I'm definitely female crazy, not male crazy. Yeah. Um, but I'll take it, to be honest. I can't argue with that one. Loca.
1: I just looked up what puto means and it means prostitute. I don't know why that's the only Spanish word I know, but that's me. Welcome to well, Queer it, Talk. It's all you've needed to get
2: by, Mubsim, <laughs> when you go to Spain. we love that for you.
1: It's the whole life I live. (laughs) It's great to be back. (laughs) Honestly. It's been too long. It's been too long. It's been way too long. So, uh, shall we dive into some discussions about LGBTQI plus news? Absolutely. All right, Gia. So, the first news article I'm bringing to the table... Metaphorical table between you and me, Spencer, in two different households. (laughs) The table is somewhere situated between Manchester and London, not sure where that lands, probably Nottingham, I don't know. So, the news article, which is from Gay Times, but it's also been covered by The Guardian and a lot of other news outlets, talks about the Office for National Statistics in the UK. They are in charge of surveys and censuses. Um, to collect data and stats and they will be asking for the first time questions about gender identity and sexual orientation in the upcoming census so that's the national census that happens in the UK every decade every decade yeah yeah it's not so would you have done the first census I guess not the first census but like the one in 2011
2: no I would in how old would you have been 10 years ago I would have been 11.
1: Oh my God, this this, this hurts, this hurts. <laughs> um So it's mostly for, or it is only for people who are 16 and are over. It's, a, it's kind of a survey which goes to every household in the UK and it's supposed to capture a snapshot of the um, entire population. And they're asking questions usually about your accommodation, so how many people live in the household, occupation, salaries, education, ethnicity, religion, and like marital status. So it's trying to capture all those kind of different demographics, ask the entire country, and it is legal, um, so you have to do it. Um, sorry, it's, Ill- it's illegal to not do it. And it captures all that information, and it gives you a snapshot on that night of who's in the UK and who really? lives in the UK. And it's probably the only time that uh you'll have a survey at this level and and that's why it happens every 10 years
2: are you sure it's legal you have to do it it says it says in the gay times thing this will be voluntary and available for anyone age 16 and over
1: it so it's compulsory to answer the census and that's why you end up having really high rates of uh, responses compared to a normal survey Mm -hmm. um and there's um they have officers who chase households who haven't answered the questions yet but the voluntary aspect that you're talking about is um, the questions on LGBT orientation and identity. Those questions are voluntary. Amazing. So they're not asking everyone to answer those questions compuls- in a yeah, mandatory way. But the fact that those questions are there, they've taken 10 years of consultations with both Stonewall and other organisations, I imagine, to develop what the questions are going to be. And if you go into like survey politics and all that kind of stuff and the detail, it's really important to... Were these questions right without being leading?
2: Yeah, or misleading. Misleading.
1: So, yeah, the article is talking about how in the next census in 2021, there will be questions about gender identity. And that's actually never happened before. Ian Bell, who is the Office of National Statistics statistician, so there's never been any robust data on gender identity at all. So it's it's also important to put this into context that every year they do do a survey, which is a big survey, but you don't get the same responses. And those surveys, are they're important for a reason. Um, so the new CEO for Stonewall, Nancy Kelly, said this is a vital step forward. And what she means by that, I think, is by starting to collect this data about LGBT people in the UK and doing it at this level with the census, we now will have, when I say we, the government and also LGBT organisations will have a really clear data to use when going out and doing these kind of campaigns that we talk about. So to give you an example of why something like this is actually quite important, uh, the annual population survey that happens every year, because it's annual, um, <laughs> it's like a mini census, and and that has shown us in the UK in 2014, 1.6% of people identified as LGB. And then in 2018, when the same annual survey came around, 2.2% people identify as LGB, LGB. So this stat is going up. And that's just, it's really helpful information to know that there are more people identifying as part of the queer community. And what does that mean? We don't know. It probably means that, you know, we are progressing in a way that more people are more confident to identify uh, we're creating better spaces and you know facilities so people can be more comfortable in their sexuality and their gender identity it doesn't necessarily mean that you know homophobia doesn't exist transphobia doesn't exist because we know those rates are going up as well but this is is important to collect all that data and this is it's good that the office of national statistics are going to be asking about gender identity in the next census
2: absolutely i think this is really important and it will further kind of highlight the disadvantage that we have i know we speak about having a disadvantage a lot as gay people as bi people as trans people lesbians you know each separate element of the of the community has their own disadvantages but without the stats to back it up it it comes across as opinion and when it's opinion a lot of people are quite you know comfortable with ignoring that so i'm i'm excited to see you know some real stats be put out and you know basically used as our shield to to defend although we shouldn't have to to defend what we actually go through as a community and how we are treated like you said you know homophobia and transphobia exist but with these stats, as well as the stats based on you know crime rates, reports to police about attacks and discrimination, I think hopefully it will aid further progress, and that's what we need. Because as as much as we think we're a fairly developed country and fairly you know forward in in progress for LGBT rights, we we still have a long way to go. Yes.
1: That's true. And for me, it's just like, I know it sounds really boring, because it's stats and surveys and all this stuff. But to have this kind of consideration on a national scale for this, it's, I think it's quite significant. And it's great to see that Stonewall are working with these organisations to make that happen in the way that serves the LGBT community. Yeah. So the next time that we have the census, which is next year in the UK, if it doesn't get delayed because of COVID or something like that, when someone is answering the questions, it will say, what is your sex, male or female? And then later it says, is the gender you identify with the same as the sex registered at birth? So that's the new question. And you can imagine if that wasn't there, then you could be excluding and othering parts of
2: our community sure I think that's still going to have an impact you know for people who haven't looked into it and understood that this is their approach I think it is going to still have a a hard-hitting impact because people are so used to just seeing forms that say are you male or female
1: it's just interesting because I I kind of fell into a hole you know how some people fall into holes on Reddit about certain topics Mm -hmm. when I was researching this I just fell into a hole um, in the office of national statistics and it goes to show how boring an accountant can be (laughs) because <laughs> um, it, it does it does really lay out what questions they have and then what they've done in their 10-year journey to develop the question and then you're just sitting there thinking well, they've done so much work just to get the one question right because this only happens every 10 years
2: but it's exactly how it should be mm. you know it it's it seems ridiculous to put you know time and research into wording a question but if that question is wrong you're going to offend an entire population yeah and and that's not okay and you know you know speaking as a queer person kind of for queer people it's an incredibly sensitive issue especially in this country when we know that we're not always accepted in particular situations we have to come out on multiple occasions mm. um you know lgbt homelessness is on a, on the rise lgbt crime you know well anti lgbt crime rates are have almost tripled i think i think it's vital that we are kind of respected and thought of and considered in that manner because otherwise it just it just continues the kind of attitude that we're not you know we're not significant and we're not cared about so i I think it's great that they they are doing this work i
1: agree agree that they've spent all this time to do this and get the questions right it's not just a throwaway because we're used to being throwaway question
2: yeah i guess we'll find out in 2021
1: yeah so sorry i've started the season with a very statistical article but that's
2: just me we expected That's... nothing less from you, must seen. When you sent me this article, I knew how excited you would be. Data, and you know the government's data.
1: going to collect all this information and put it in Excel. <laughs> and they're going to do a V lookup on it, and then realize they can't oh, do V no. lookups on this kind of information. And
2: then they're going to lose it, and they'll have to do another census. I know, uh, but it does actually it does
1: worry me that they're collecting all this information. And is it anonymous? And can they use it in different ways? This um, is, this is a question because I did it also, also be watch...
2: used against us
1: well it depends i don't think i think it's mostly for collecting information but if it is on excel and it does get leaked like will every person who identified as lgbtq have their name on a, a register on you know some sort of random reddit because that could be problematic and it's you know safeguarding issues there but I think it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean... This, they, is, this is why I fall into a hole because I just start getting into these conspiracy theories of like, oh no, what if the data doesn't... What if the data is in the wrong hands?
2: I think we just need to uh, hope for the best and, and put some trust in the, uh, the organisation leading the census. Yes, yes. It's not the government, so <laughs>
1: we can probably trust it a little bit more than that. <laughs> cool, so what have you got, Spencer? Is it just as boring
2: No, so mine is actually um, quite an emotional story, but it is uplifting. So Oreo, the biscuit brand, um, do you like Oreos? I've heard of
1: them. Yeah, I do. Because when I was vegan, I relied on Oreos for my kind of like snacking. (laughs) Because they're they're one of those biscuits where you don't realise they're vegan. That's because there's no dairy in the cream.
2: Which is amazing. They're super cool. I remember their first one of their first campaigns was like twist it, lick it, dunk it, <laughs> and I used to have so much fun like working out. I mean, I could never twist it to, to separate it. I think maybe I'm just incredibly weak, um, yeah. or it would like snap in half, and I just get pissed off and eat the whole biscuit. Um, but yeah, I remember the twist it, lick it, dunk it. Yeah, um, I'm, was I'm really good fun. at the middle part of that. Lick it. Mm. <laughs> oh, sorry saying. i couldn't i can not resist i know you couldn't Just so oreo have released a campaign for national coming out day called hashtag proud parents and it essentially is a three minute video um, that if you haven't watched already you need to watch we will upload it to our socials um, as this episode is released But it basically shows a lesbian couple coming home, being around the family, feeling uncomfortable, and then, plot twist, they get accepted in the end. And it's a film to kind of encourage that being accepted into your family is incredibly important and not just not just you but your partner also Um, it highlights the true importance of like family love that support and even just affirmation for for who we are now I know that this isn't something that everyone listening will be able to relate to but I think it's something that many of us kind of dream of like this idea that we can you know some of us are quite fortunate to be accepted by our families and Mm. then to go home with a partner, it's just the dream, you know. To make it's it's this kind of—it's a very nerve-wracking thing to do. Completely, to, completely. If, to introduce your partner to
1: your parents, and then on top of that, you're a, you know you're a a non-straight couple, so you have all the complexities of that as well of being accepted because of your sexuality, and then now you have a partner. It's it's like another thing for your parents to accept, and for them, it's if they haven't been um exposed to lgbtq people or have had lgbtq friends if you come from like this kind of background to more traditional background then it's something more for them to navigate and learn and it's it's like a new thing for parents and they, they don't
2: always get it right sure
1: and i think that video did a really good job of showing that
2: yeah i think so i mean there was a lot of like weird um looks and stuff that stuff that is very relatable because even if people accept you they still don't necessarily understand you and so they will still kind of look at you a bit strange ask questions you know and and whilst we know that those questions are completely inappropriate or unnecessary these people may not be doing it out of harm they might be doing it to try and you know understand and process the things in their own way um but that can sometimes be conflicting but as I said this video ends really positive we won't reveal the ending because it's super cute and you need to watch it for yourselves but basically the couple are accepted into the family and it's a really uplifting moment um I actually I watched it just before we started this recording and I was like tears all down my face and Mufsin was like um <laughs> are you, Spencer are you are you okay and I'm like <laughs> yeah I just watched the video <laughs>
1: I watched it and I didn't cry it doesn't no. mean I'm heartless
2: no I've seen I'm you am not you are but
1: heartless. I I did take a few i probably took different things from it than you did Spencer because yeah. I've been in the situation where I've had to introduce my partner to my family mm-hmm. uh, and this year I'm not actually speaking to my family so watching sure. that video and see um just like what it is to be in a family home environment. I was watching it and kind of feeling like, oh, I kind of miss. I kind of miss like being at home with family and having sure. that comfort. But then also with the um, the lesbian character, like just being normal with her her partner, and but then kind of editing herself when she's around family. Um, that's all. It all kind of brings back memories of when I used to have my partner, my ex, um, come down to Brighton. But he was always my best friend at the time. And he Sweet. was kind of he was accepted as you know as, as my best friend, and we would you know go home to my family, and they'd be fine with him. But there was always that kind of tension for me of oh, I just want to hold his hand, or like I just want to be normal around him. But we have to create these artificial barriers to you know edit ourselves and almost like heteronormalize ourselves in front yeah. of the family in, in order for us to have both you know our, our love and also the family love at the
2: same time coexisting. So you had to censor yourselves how did that kind of make you feel
1: um well it's just you don't I mean it wasn't ideal at the time but it was like almost necessary like I wanted to I wanted it all I wanted my boyfriend and also my family like in the same space I wanted that kind of normality for me sure but censoring myself editing myself it almost felt like I had to do this until I I could find a way to be more happy and more open about it but for me it was more like when I did finally come out to my parents and told them that this is actually my my partner not my best friend my my parents said like we don't want him to come around anymore and that was really hard for me so to watch this video and see the you know the parents accept her in the end that was really lovely but also it was a bit bittersweet for me because I know that in certain situations it doesn't end like that sure and that's why these videos are important and maybe like I didn't cry because I've already cried about this situation so many times before in the past
2: yeah, you've had to kind of build a thick skin around around this in particular, particularly mm. around family and being at home in general. Um, yeah, yeah. But also, you 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 just read an article that was super boring. Um, <laughs> so so may, maybe maybe you were just completely blasé to the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I was watching the video and thinking. So two percent of the UK
1: population, <laughs> gay, lesbian, bisexual. You were trying oh, to figure okay. out which characters were which, um, looking at all the stats. I was. Well, sorry to bring it back to stats, but I always
2: thought there was one in 10 people are gay, but then it says
1: 2%. No, the the world
2: population is incredibly, it's a a very low percentage, but there's a lot of us. And this this always, I always have this conversation with people and I'm like, why are people so threatened by us? Like, how are we under such a huge attack, you know, illegal in so many countries, you know, kind of questioned, not accepted, you know, the level of violence and stuff, kind of aim towards us when Mm. we make up such a small percentage of the overall population like we really seem to push people's buttons and trigger discomfort within you know even countries communities Mm. groups of people and it 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 makes no sense to me because but you know relative to the world's population we're such a small small group of people (laughs) Mm -hmm. so your
1: argument is don't worry about us. We're insignificant. <laughs> not We're, damn, we're, we're no. We're you know, not. you know why people are threatened by queer people is because we're all really talented and smart. But also, what we what we represent is not the norm. The norm in you know, quotation marks is. Mm. So we are we are a small percentage of people, but then we are also you know we 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 threaten the instit- institute of marriage. Sure. Uh, we threaten religion. We threaten, you know, having babies. I don't know, like all these things that people hold really close to their hearts and it's all that heteronormative expectations on people. Yeah. We we destroy that. That's it's why
2: people have people are scared of us in certain countries. It's crazy. Um, I think um the, the advert kind of ends on this little slogan that says, A loving world starts with a loving home and going back to your discussion of you having to kind of censor yourselves to your parents, I think this can apply Um, outside of the, you know, the nuclear family in the sense that I go to lots of places, um, not, you know, not since COVID kind of crept up on us, but I go to lots of people's houses and feel really at home and feel really accepted and welcome. And I would take my partner there I don't, it doesn't necessarily have to fit with, you know, your family home, because as yeah. as we know, a lot of us have chosen, you know, our own chosen families that will yep. love, support and affirm who we are anyway, and to a much better standard, to be honest. So I, I actually like that hit home with me, like a loving mm. world starts with a loving home. Because I think about when I come to you, when I come to, you know, um, different, you know, friends I have in London or Manchester or it's 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 just nice to know that there are homes and places that we can go to feel safe to be accepted and that we don't have to depend on our families to kind of approve that for us. Yes. No, yeah, I, I- yeah, no, I, I totally agree with
1: that because even though my my parents my my home hasn't always been the home which makes me feel loved as a gay person, I've always had friends whose home and whose parents have always created that kind of home environment for me—a safe environment, loving environment, like you say, a loving home. Yeah, um, and that's kind of what I want to do you know, in my life as well. Like I want my home in London to be that place for LGBT people and my friends and family to, you know, kind of just nurture and love each other. So it's it's the difference between I think that video for Oreos and P Flag, it really walks the line of the difference between acceptance and tolerance. Yeah. So at no point in that video did she have to come out to her parents. It was almost yeah. kind of assumed that she is out to her parents already. She's got a partner, the partners come around to the house. So that the kind of the tolerance is already there, like Mm -hmm. she's already kind of out. But it's really like the level of acceptance, which we're trying to figure out in the video, which is more subtle. Yeah. But the the payoff at the end is really, you know, it's totally worth it because it really shows how that can make such a big change in the way she interacts with her
2: family, the neighbours or whoever. Absolutely and I've I've been having this discussion a lot lately about kind of trying to make a change Um, like this video highlights you know a conversation well not necessarily a conversation but like an interaction that takes place on a really small scale so just between the daughter the partner and the father for example like this is a really small exchange and i think you know a lot of what me and you do outside of the podcast or even through the podcast we're talking to like everyone or as many people as we can reach you know on twitter we try and reach hundreds if not thousands of people the same with instagram um with the platform um for the love of queers like we're trying to reach everyone and change a huge change things on a huge scale and and the conversations I've been having lately is like there are there are people you know we can have conversations I think first of all it needs to start with ourselves because none of us are perfect so like there are things you know we want people to accept us for being queer but we not we may not um act in the right way about someone um for having a disability we may not act the right way towards them mm-hmm. and it's not that we don't accept it but it's just that we don't understand it and as a result we may ask inappropriate questions or look at them in a strange way or you know have particular thoughts if it's something we've not come across before so I've been having these conversations with people that we need to have those discussions with ourselves first of all but then on a local level you know um, with groups of friends to kind of figure things out with people that you're comfortable with first of all to ask ask those questions with people that you know you can trust and understand before trying to you know target a wider audience um, because a lot of us are online trying to make noise and I actually don't know that that's always helpful um, I definitely think we can be having, you know, smaller conversations. So if you haven't already, you need to watch the Oreo Proud Parent video, and definitely look forward and look out for the UK census next look year. Look out for the census. <laughs> you Get don't look excited! Out for it. it just happens. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, okay. Don't look out for it, but remember that it's vital that you know we share we share this data and statistics to kind of help our community basically have have the data to back back up our arguments you know when we Mm. need support and help in certain areas that the data is what forces that to happen
1: welcome back to queer talk we're joined by great british bake-off star and cake designer stephen carter bailey hello everybody
2: my name is stephen carter bailey and i am he him amazing so stephen tell us a bit about what you do what you've done and why you're here today So I am, first of all,
3: I'm here today because I am gay. (laughs) Amazing. Yay. It's It's a good start. I am a proud gay man of 37 years and I am here to talk about my experiences. You may know me from the Great British Bake Off. I appeared there in 2017 and finished as a finalist and I then returned and won the New Year's Bake Off in 2019. I am currently working in marketing communications. I am a cake decorating teacher. I am a writer and a, a, a cake designer.
2: Amazing. I love that you stuttered on cake designer when it's literally what you're most known it's,
3: for. Literally yeah. my bread and butter. I'm also a radio <laughs> show host. <laughs> do you like know that? I, I completely <laughs> forgot the one thing that takes the majority of my time during the week. <laughs> you do so much. Of course, you're going to forget one of your jobs. Exactly. I'm going to forget this podcast quite quickly, I can tell you that. <laughs>
2: Wow! Great <laughs> oh. jokes, jokes. So, Stephen, you've joined us here today, and we're very excited to have you, especially as a renowned baker, gay man. It's nice to see um, people like you on TV. Full stop. Tell us a bit about how you kind of got there. How did Bake Off come about?
3: So, Bake Off, as you know, you wouldn't know because you're very, very young. But Bake Off <laughs> has been going for about ten years now. I think this is the te- we've just celebrated the tenth year. 11th season sorry I uh, first applied for the Bake Off in season two which was about 2011 2012 Mm -hmm. I didn't get very far I applied the following year I got a little bit further Uh, on my second attempt I gave up because I just thought it hit the the show had kind of grown and it was huge I thought there's no chance of me ever getting on so I left it and then the show switched to channel four in 2017 yeah. And I was talking to a colleague at work. She decided, for some obscure reason, without consulting me, to tell my work colleagues that I was going to apply. And so I did. I didn't. I was kind of backed into a corner, and I applied. Third time lucky. I didn't. I was drunk when I filled in my application form. I was, <laughs> um, and I always. I, that's why I drink so much because I. I think it's. Uh, it's how I am. So wonderful. I was quite <laughs> drunk. I was on holiday, and uh, I sent the application form in. And a week later, I got a call and it started there and it was just it has snowballed ever since and then three years later I have hit the sweet spot by being on your podcast.
2: Amazing.
3: I was gonna say do you remember what you wrote in the application when you were drunk?
1: No. Was there anything ridiculously confident or silly that you put in? I may have put a dick pic in for all I know
3: (laughs) because I was really quite drunk. No I well originally when we first when I first applied there were paper application forms so you had to print them off. Do you know what a printer is? (laughs) You do know the printer, so you had to print off. I know, right? Uh, Sixteen pages of forms to fill in, and so when I did it the third time in 2017, they had switched to an electronic portal, Uh, and so. You, you submit your application through this portal for it never to be seen again. So I, to this day, and I don't honestly think I want to see what I wrote.
2: <laughs> well, there we go. Listen, as long as it gets you in the door, you, you could have just painted yourself as some complete different person, but you, you, you can bake um, and you proved that on the show. So yes. that's all that matters. Were you always a keen baker, particularly as a child? Did you do a lot of baking at home, maybe in
3: with family, stuff like that when you were younger? Yes and no. I mean, yes in that stems from my youth I the first thing I ever baked was a lemon drizzle cake with my mum my mum is a, uh, a self-taught cook and baker her mum wasn't her mum was a nurse and didn't have time for you know kitchen faff so my mum when she married and had children wanted mm. to become this this kitchen queen which she did she is she still is and she still you know she still she still teaches me to this day um but I wouldn't say baking really uh was a big part of my childhood I just enjoyed doing it from time to time. And at secondary school, I, would d- I did home ec. I never really flourished, but it was as I left home and I moved into my own place. Uh, I developed sort of a, a liking for cooking and then subsequently baking. And then my sister had her eldest son, who's now 13. I made the cake for his baby shower. So wow. she was still pregnant with Oscar when when I first decorated the cake 30, 14 years ago. And so that's really when the, the the fun started because I developed like a, a taste for creative design. Mm.
2: So just to rewind a little bit, what was your family home?
3: like growing up it was a typical ish upbringing i'm quite sure people think that we were raised on cordon bleu cookery because my mum is so good like Mm -hmm. she can turn her hand to anything but you have to remember this was the 80s and 90s we hit the recession money was really tight you know we really suffered as a result of the recession so we were raised Mm -hmm. on a lot of simplistic food wartime recipes you know stuff to make food go a long way and so it was common for us to eat things like corned beef you know (laughs) or fish fingers we weren't poor but we weren't rich by any by any means you know there were there were struggles but mum did everything to make sure that we were fed and were as happy as we could be and that was a lot of it and that meant homemade food and I think that's I won't talk too much about it but I think that's a a skill and an art that has been lost. (music) I remember listening to your episode
2: of I'm Coming Out um, with yes. Johnny Harvey, which was amazing. And you, you mentioned growing up in a Mormon family home. Um, yeah. how, how did that kind of differentiate how that kind of growing up? Do you think that had an impact on that or... Yeah, growing up
3: Mormon, I think people are always quite shocked to hear it because it's typically associated with American, but it is a worldwide religion. And so, you know, I, I was very young when we joined the Mormon church and my mum my married my stepfather when I was very I'm 18 months old, and his family were Mormon, and so we, we naturally congregated towards that church. Starting my life that young, as a Mormon, it, what is probably not common behaviour was, was normal to me. But then, you know, my parents didn't drink alcohol, they didn't drink tea or coffee, we didn't have Coke, we couldn't have all all the basic stuff, you know, and it was very. You couldn't have Coke? (laughs) I was dying. I wanted lines at my sixth birthday party, but no. (laughs) No, I didn't mean like that, I just meant like you couldn't have Coca Cola. No, caffeine is a drug. And so it was banned. Yeah. Uh, so nowadays it's it's really suffering because it doesn't comply with modern beliefs now. You know about gender roles, especially because that's not how it's done anymore. It was very strict, but it wasn't it wasn't harsh. Um, you know, my mum was raised Presbyterian in a Presbyterian household, so that was strict. Whereas this was a little softer, but it was very yeah. much a community. We lived in a very small community of of other Mormon people. And it was only really when I went to a Church of England school, because it was the only one in my village, that I started to realise that I and my family were different. Not frowned upon or shunned or or sneered at, but treated very differently. So my sister, my brothers and I weren't allowed to go to certain uh, things that were to do with the Church of England because it clashed with our belief structure. Um, Mm. But we, you know, actually as a child, living in a community like the mormon faith it was a very warm and comforting thing but i was very young when i realized that i really don't mean this rudely towards religion but i i could see a lot of the bullshit and I, you know, and I could cut through it from a very young age. I didn't believe in the heaven structure that they had, you know, the three tiers of heaven. And there was a lot of guilt and there's yeah. a lot of shaming. You know, if you don't do this, or if you do live that life that doesn't comply with our rules, and you will not be with your family for eternity. So you imagine as a child being told that. So when I had separation issues from my mother, you can see where that came from. You know, Show like <laughs> you were taught that if you didn't, Follow the rules. If I didn't go on a mission, if I didn't marry a woman and have six children, then I wouldn't go to the same heaven as my mother. And that's a really, I tell yeah. you know, 37 years old, that still plays with my mind that they're teaching children. That is quite a heavy thing to say to a child. Yeah. And it's almost like your future's already written for you. Yes. When people think about my issue with religion. It's not that I think all religion is bad. I think just some of the messaging that is out there is actually very damaging not not to everybody to some people and i was one of those people that suffered as a result of religious texts and preaching because i knew from a young age that i wasn't going to marry a woman and so in my mind i wasn't going to spend eternity with my mum which sounds ridiculous to us as an adult but a Twitch
1: hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite
0: of what big wireless does they charge you a lot
4: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
3: Child, a six-year-old child, it was really quite traumatic for me. You, you yeah. say
2: it sounds ridiculous as an adult, but there will be a number of adults that still believe this and are probably still struggling with this. So actually, it's really important
3: that you share that. It's very much a very damaging belief. And I say, you know, as an adult, it would be ridiculous yes, to, 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 to us three it is. Uh, but there was a time where we thought that our families would reject us because of what we were or what we are sorry I imagine as an adult now there is a risk that if I had followed the path of religion I would be in a, a marriage with a woman and a child or six children whatever and I would I know people like that and I know Mormons who live lies because they genuinely believe that will ruin their families they will bring shame I I was very lucky, and I think, I don't know whether it was luck or whether it was my thinking, probably my mum. I was very lucky at a young age because I had two choices. The two choices were you can live a life of misery with a woman, or you can face your fear and and accept and be truthful to yourself. Then I had to be very quick and say I want to be truthful to myself. I can't lie. I'm a terrible liar yeah and i thought it's actually probably easy it would be harder to lie to a woman <laughs> i didn't want to do that to somebody else and i know that people who are in those sorts of relationships don't want to hurt the other party. That's not why they did it. They did it because they were terrified of, of the truth.
2: I think it comes it comes as well from an element of not hurting other people. So, like, you may get in a relationship that you're not happy with in order to please your family, in order to please that person, you know, in order to please the community. And actually, all you're doing is damaging yourself, first of all. And, and in the end, you know, you end up hurting all those people when the truth comes out anyway.
3: It's a very Um, toxic situation to find yourself in. And I I think you have to make decisions. And to to expect a person of any age to make a decision like that is... I I can see why the wrong decisions are made. As a a 14-year-old, when I left the church, turned my back on the faith and the community that I was part of, it was a very, very big thing for me to do. Uh, And I still still sort of get that feeling of angst in my chest when I remember making that decision and, and turning my back on it. You did that when you were fourteen. I was fourteen when I last went to church. So it wasn't a big declaration of I'm no longer a Mormon. Uh, no, 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 there wasn't a big party. It was uh, it was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, it was very unlike me. Uh, and I'd had a conversation with a church elder about uh, homosexuality, and it wasn't. I, it wasn't me admitting it to them. I wasn't quite ready, but it it naturally the conversation naturally flowed with this person, and I asked what it would be like as a gay person in the Mormon Church. Now, you have to remember, this was the mid-90s, so although it doesn't seem like that long ago, and I know that you two are going to laugh at me when I say it, but it's not that long ago. Back then, it was still, you know, next to it, akin to being illegal in the Mormon faith. Uh, and the interesting the response I got, and this is when I knew that I had to be true to myself, the response I got wasn't, you know, what you'd imagine, which was all hellfire and brimstone and you will bring shame on your family. It wasn't that at all. What he said was, The Mormon faith doesn't recognise homosexuality because they don't understand it. Because in their mind, if 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 I can marry a woman and have children, then it doesn't matter what I am and I can just hide my feelings and turn them off. And I was horrified because in my own mind I genuinely wanted a, a reaction like, You will be abandoned, the church will turn its back on you. The more terrifying response was, Of course we wouldn't turn our back on you. We would just expect you to turn your back on your truth. And I remember the chill that went down my spine because I thought, you are you really are quite sadistic. <laughs> That's worse in my mind than being abandoned and being shamed.
2: Yeah, it, it almost turns the blame on you. I think this is a really interesting discussion to have because I know Mufseen's spoken about his experience uh, in previous episodes with his religion and with family. And when I moved to London four years ago, I started attending um, a Christian church with my auntie in order to meet new people and make new friends. But when I spoke more and more about my sexuality with people, they were like, it's fine to be gay, but your your love for God should be stronger than your love for anybody else. And it's similar to, to what you were told, you know. We support you,
3: but you have to do it our way. And that, to me, is where the shackles come. And for, for anybody in our, in our community to be told to suppress what is as natural as human desire, and this is this is how I try to explain the struggles that we face to other people. you know I, I talk about inclusion and and the, the struggles that we face being spat out in the street is not nearly as hard to deal with as being told that what feels most natural to me is shunned upon and should be repressed and treated as a sin I, I, there's no there are no words to you know, eloquently project that feeling. I wasn't turning my back on the religion. I was turning my back on what everybody else believed. And I was questioning everything that my support network had told me. And mm. as a 14-year-old boy, a child, I was very uncertain about what I was doing. But I knew more than anything at that age, although I hadn't come out, I knew that nothing matched, nothing in the Mormon faith matched my truth and my reality and so I thought, I can't lie, because I'm crap at lying. Yeah. I don't want to lie. I don't want to live a big old gay life, he says. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I certainly don't want to to put myself through... I knew, I knew I had the whole coming out thing to deal with. I knew I had a lot of trouble coming my way. And I didn't want to add to that by forcing myself into a, a you know, a square peg, round hole kind of situation, because... You have to let natural feelings happen. Otherwise, there's so much damage that can be caused. And I'm sure we will touch upon that in the rest of this podcast, because there's a lot of damage to cover. (laughs) You'll be spending your entire life unpicking it, trust me. Oh, yes. Do you think it is possible to have
2: both, to balance faith and and your sexuality? Yes, of course it
3: is. Mm -hmm. And I respect people who have a faith of any kind. I respect their, their right to it and their beliefs. I don't prejudge anybody for that. Let's say that because in my mind, uh, you know, it's been twenty-five years since I left the church. I am now. I'm not. I, I wouldn't even class myself as an atheist. I have no spiritual beliefs. I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe in tarot. I don't believe in stars, or star signs. Or I have managed to control my anxieties and my stresses about my past, present, and future by accepting that I am just here and I am going nowhere after this and so what is here now is enough for me yeah you
2: you speak about control I know again from from previous things I've listened to and read you you didn't tell anyone about doing your driving test you didn't tell anyone about applying for bake-off I don't want to use the term control freak, but you know, we're all friends here. And like, I would, I would describe myself in exactly the same way. But you very much, I think you have got, or you try to have as much control as possible over the here and now.
3: Where do you think that comes from? It stems from being controlled as a child and as a teenager and as an adult by very weak people who don't have their own inner strength. So they project control onto other people. And it's taken a long time to say those words and and know and, and know that that's the truth because I blamed myself for my character traits. I am a control freak, not unhealthily yeah I can let go i can I can yeah. let other people in the kitchen when I'm cooking and allow them to stir the pot and i don't <laughs> I don't break out in a sweat that much but I have had some very very toxic people in my life who have tried to and succeeded to control me and weakened. Me down to the point where I was barely human and barely functioning, and I allowed that to happen one too many times. I know some people joke about it, but I am fiercely independent now, having been spent the first thirty plus years of my life being controlled by other people. It's it, I'm I'm doing now at thirty seven what a great deal of people do at sort of nineteen twenty when they first break away from the nest. People say that a
1: lot about gay men is. we're we're catching up in our 30s what we should have done in our 20s because we have so many issues with control shame and we only really let go of that
3: later on and it takes a slower learning curve for us of self-discovery yeah i spoke about this with johnny who does the i'm coming out podcast he and i are so very similar we are living this life that we so desperately crave now in our 30s that that a lot lot of people do live uh, you know in their early 20s and I love it honestly I have had since Bake I have had the most fun and I have become so, such a different person you know sometimes I'm straight laced and I make sweet little biscuits and sometimes I'm marching pride dressed to the nines in feathers and bells and whistles and my face painted screaming from the top of my lungs but it's just me finding who I am I, I am, encourage anybody please live your true self at least once in your life because it's a terribly sad and lonely existence if you don't. Yeah. Um, how would
2: you kind of advise or what would you kind of say either to your younger self or to people now that may be in that situation? Because we, as grown-up queer people, we want to try and make sure that the things we lived through and the things that happened to us don't continue to happen generation after generation.
3: I'll give, I, I want to tell you a story about that because I'm very lucky right now to be working at the secondary school that I attended as a young queer person yeah. back in the 90s, which at the time it wasn't accepted as widely as it is now. And it was a very dark and very sad and very lonely time. And I now work at that school. And I have... Uh, they're actually demolishing the school. They're rebuilding it. And it's, a, it's an incredible building project. And it's wonderful to see. And it's really emotional. And I stood there. I was stood in one of the other buildings watching my old form room being demolished i watched as the the bulldozer ripped it apart and this this internal weight lifted so for some reason i just felt this sudden release of pain that had had been sitting there like some sort of rot inside me and i realized that for 20 years 20 plus years i had held on to memories that were really sad and toxic now what i wouldn't recommend i when i say you know when you're when you're older you'll look back don't wait until you're older, because that's that's no good. You, you know, you'll be old then, yeah. and no one wants to be old. <laughs> but, <laughs> assess your situation. Stop and remove all external thought. Remove the idea of losing friends and family. Stop worrying about it for a second. Start to comp- compartmentalise your issues and your problems. Write them down, and obviously, if you're concerned about privacy, don't write them down, or, you know keep them somewhere private and start to realise what it is you are, say the words out loud and verbalise your truth. The very best thing would be to have an ally, somebody to talk to, find somebody that you trust and speak your truth. Say the words out loud, say I am gay, I am trans, I am not a girl, I am a boy. Whatever it is, say it but say it confidently. Don't be afraid of saying it, but say it out loud. As soon as you start speaking, as soon as you start to verbalise your truth, the balance shifts a little bit. You will feel a pang of fear. Of course you will. Don't be frightened of fear because fear is just a feeling. But by saying that out loud, you start to accept yourself. Then you can start going through uh, excuse the expression your your journey of discovery and acceptance and telling your family you know if you're 14 and you know you're gay but you're not ready to tell your family until you're 30 then you're not ready and nobody and no one's story and nobody else's experience is yours and you have to respect yourself there will be a right time that would be my my advice is believe yourself before you start you know trying to talk to other people yeah that's really good advice i would also like to give advice to Perhaps the parents or anybody on the receiving end of somebody saying these things, it's fine to be shocked. It's fine to be upset, it's fine to be scared, it's fine to be all the feelings that are going on in your head. You might not be a a cool modern liberalist aunt. It's fine to feel that way, but always remember in the back of your mind, if you if you're ever in a situation where somebody confides the truth like that in you, your reaction will be the one thing they remember about you for the rest of their life. So as a parent, if you do decide immediately if your knee jerk reaction is to be upset or disappointed or angry you must remember that's the one thing that your child or whatever the relationship is will remember for the rest of their life do you want that to be their memory of you of course you don't I don't know you might maybe you do but (laughs) (laughs) I would always say if if somebody does put you in a situation like that of any kind stop don't say anything and the best thing you can do, if you think you're going to have an angry reaction, is just go thank you this is between us Can I just have some time? That is the best thing you could say. It might sound really negative, but it's the best thing you can say. And take an hour or take a year and just let it sink in and let the true reality of what you've just heard sink in.
2: It's an amazing approach. I think we should approach most things like that. I think we're very quick to just react to
3: everything, particularly Mm -hmm. online. Try to stand in the circle and look out at everybody looking in. Mm-hmm. yeah you learn I, I'm very in fact I'm very lucky that I have been on the receiving end of bad press and bad social media. so I now look at everything that annoys me on social media and go there's a reason they said that and <laughs> I might not know what that reason is, but they made a conscious decision to press post or hit reply comment and I have to respect that I might not like it but there's something going on and the more toxic the comment, the more damaged that person is. I can understand it. I just don't I don't I'm not an online bully I would never say anything online even a soft joke will have a detrimental effect on somebody that's
1: the danger of online bullying really because one it's so easy
3: for one person to say one homophobic comment but then that could make someone else spiral for a week a month yeah and homophobia like like many things is so often assumed to be the very obvious shouting of derogatory words or you know the obvious bullying but actually what I call soft homophobia is probably more prevalent and more damaging in television you know the categorization of a gay man for example being overtly camp and always single always bad you know always Unlucky in love. You know, always, the, always the fashion, you know, always giving the fashion advice. And I know it sounds silly, but it, to make somebody out to be that way, I wouldn't say it's homophobic, yep. but it's not how we are. I'm terrible at fashion. I mean, I'm wearing <laughs> like... A, a well, that's that's a personal problem. Blue. I know, <laughs> I know. But I think it, it's just, we. I'm not saying we should be careful, we should, we re, should, we should re look at everything. but yeah. We shouldn't be reduced down to a stereotype. Exactly that.
1: Because there's actually a variety of people who are gay, who are LGBTQ and we shouldn't reflect just one one little slither of that mm. on TV only.
3: I think
2: it's interesting to flip it on its head. I grew up in North Wales and didn't know of anyone else that was queer at the time. And so that stereotype or that representation it's what you model yourself on, which is also a problem, right? Because this stereotype like, oh, I have to dress well, I have to be calm, I have to like Ariana Grande and be a certain way. That was all I knew. That was if I looked up the definition of gay in my mind, that was what I saw. And I tried to become that. So those stereotypes, they're damaging in terms of educating other people about who we are because we, we you know, we find ourselves later and later in life. But when you first realise your sexuality, to then model yourself on this stereotype, stereotype it only reinforces it so i think it's a double-edged sword
3: we search our identity in in our society and it, obviously i didn't have that i had no no queer culture well in fact no i did sorry i i had queer as folk which mm-hmm. was probably yes. <laughs> Very, very <laughs> bad place to learn about queer culture. Uh, but a lot of people did learn from that. They did. I, that's all we had. I rejected it because I was terrified of that. And I still, to this day, I am. And I struggle now, even in my 30s, with my identity being questioned because I don't do things that gay culture assumes that I will do. Or One of my pet peeves is when people say you're a bad gay <gasps> because you don't do these things. That's I really hate that terrible thing that's as bad as using the word gay as an adjective oh like that's so gay oh (laughs) that's so gay it's so gay for me I hate that I'm still struggling I will always struggle with who I am because I'm so determined to be who I am and I'm so happy with who I am that when somebody tells me that I'm a bad gay because I don't watch RuPaul's Drag Race I get so angry that some people sort of jump back and go, what's your problem? I think, you're as bad as somebody telling me that being gay is wrong. That's that, that, yeah. that's the equivalent. You can't throw comments like that. I'm sorry I don't watch the same television show as you. Being gay does not define what you like and don't like. But I'm still battling that. <laughs> I didn't watch The Calendar rates.
1: But I kept it on the download because I felt so bad that people would judge me for not watching one season of Drag Race. And then I just watched the final episode and pretend I watched the entire thing.
3: That's that's sad. But it's the same as people who watch football. I just, I can't see how you would turn the television on and enjoy watching that for 90 minutes. Like I watch rugby sometimes just because of the men. Yeah, well, we all do that. But that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's...
1: Just yeah. Some gays will go clubbing. Some gays will watch RuPaul's Drag Race. You're the kind of gay who focuses on cooking and baking. Yeah, you're representing queer people in the baking industry. And in, uh, you know and we re- need people like you to do that <laughs> because there's a lot of gay people who there's a lot of gay people who made a lot of banana bread during lockdown. Yeah, better than a lot of straight people did.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly off on a tangent, but about this kind of expectation that as uh, gay men or as queer people, we are supposed to not only act a certain way, but look a certain way. We i have all had this conversation before, um, and and I think it runs through the minds of like almost everybody in the community. Body image is huge. Body dysmorphia is huge. I think I think it's a huge struggle, particularly during lockdown. We've cared more or had more time to sit with our bodies, um, putting on weight, losing weight, being able to work out from home, not attend the gym, and it's it's been a huge struggle for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, one of one of the main one of the main ways this kind of comes across is on social media. Um, we often see you know ripped, tight abs, uh, white. Muscle guys on social media, in advertising campaigns, in magazines. You know, they they very much represent the ideal body that we should all be kind of aiming for. And I know you mention now. I don't want to just brush over this but you've had issues with food in particular from a very young age Go into as much detail or as little detail but bringing that to now how is your relationship with your body kind of played out particularly as a gay man
3: i think we talked briefly earlier about control Mm -hmm. and having had control taken from me i took back control where i possibly could and eating was one of those things perhaps i should be grateful that i didn't turn to drugs but eating from a very young age was a sense of comfort and i can still Feel that comfort now. It's like an addictive drug. I started overeating, and I remember what happened. I, I broke my leg in 1991 uh, when I was about seven or eight years old, and I was obviously I couldn't move, and I was depressed <laughs> because I couldn't move, couldn't go out and play with my friends, I couldn't do all the things I loved, and so I turned to food because I felt depressed, and I developed this taste, excuse the pun, for food that just became out of control I would hide food I would apologize for eating which sounds really odd but I would you know if I was at a buffet or something I'd say oops sorry <laughs> and load my plate up for the fourth time I would overeat to the point where I could barely breathe because I just had this for some reason I had this fear that it was always going to be my last meal and I developed a, a taste for sugar and fatty foods and crisps and everything that stimulated my brain you know that mm. that sort of instant immediate relief that I would Get from eating two king size Mars bars. I remember, you know, scrabbling around for, for a change in the house to go to the local shop to buy as many bounty bars or bar- Mars bars, or whatever, and I would eat them quickly on the way home because I thought if, if I eat them where no one could see me, it doesn't matter. And so, for a very young age, I developed a really unhealthy relationship with food, and uh, that carried through into my school, into my teens, my adult life, and then it became a health issue. I was morbidly obese at 25 26 i was very dangerously overweight i actually started to black out because i was so unhealthy i I blacked out and ended up being rushed into a hospital uh having brain scans and mri scans and all this stuff and the one thing that the because everyone was worried that that i had something blocking an artery or a brain cancer and my neurologist just said your body's under pressure putting your body under stress bearing in mind i was smoking at the time as well and drinking a huge amount i ballooned when i started drinking i became alcohol dependent as well as a food dependent so my uh, my weight went up and my stress levels went up and my neurologist just said something's got to give and so i chose to lose weight and it was a good decision but it opened up a new dark place which was body image sure and that is still probably the one thing that controls me it's very easy to think that what is on social media is the truth and as adults we think that topless men at the gym you know with an eight pack with barely an an ounce of fat on them is normal and achievable do not get me wrong I would be no better than a bully if I said that they looked bad or they were bad because they're not they are very hard-working dedicated people who have done a huge incredible thing and I'm very impressed and very proud of them and so they should be proud but it's not everybody that is not when I say normal I don't mean that they're abnormal what I mean is that is not the norm if you want to do that do it go for it but that is not everybody else, and that is not what you should look like if you want to be loved, if you want to be accepted, if you want people to have sex with you. You can just be who you are, and you can still be sexually attractive. You can still be desirable. You can still be a good person. You can still get the job you want. You can still achieve everything you want in this world. You don't have to look like that. But I try now to not see sexy as what is shown to me through... Social media, but by somebody telling me I'm good looking. Do you know what I mean? It's it, it's almost conce- yeah. quite conceited. I've I've trained myself to be sexually attracted to somebody who. Sees me as sexually attractive. Does that make sense? Completely. It sounds a bit odd when you say you trained yourself, but
1: you're fighting against this big like social media algorithm which everyone's exposed to, and you do to a degree have to train yourself. Yes, of course you do. To realise that is not real life. That is not social media. A true depiction of everyone.
3: No, but without realising it, social media trains you to believe Mm. one thing. So it's your responsibility as someone with the brain to retrain yourself to say it's damaging me to think to, that to build up a resistance to it yeah you do have to build up a resistance mm. and it's not easy and it's a really odd and very bizarre state of mind to find yourself in but you know to say i'm, I'm going to force myself to be sexually aroused by somebody with a hairy back i know it sounds really odd sorry for the sorry for anyone's got a hairy back <laughs> i've got one i actually find hairy backs really sexy but i'm just saying <laughs> I, I also found myself forcing myself to become sexually aroused excuse me for saying this by reality because reality is is so much more achievable than what is in your what is in your phone you know and when you do look at those pictures of, of I'm going to say I'm going to say men for example you know for me i look at them and they are posed unnatural flawless shaved waxed um, tanned oiled and you know their balls are positioned in their pants to make it look bigger and there's literally not an actual this is a very specific of- image I'm looking at it now on my phone. Uh, <laughs> he's on your Instagram, I've seen. Yeah. It's, oh, it's, nice. uh, <laughs> it's it's something to... It's incredible the amount of work that goes into it, but I think that's unlikely to happen anyway. Like, he's still going to fart on you in the morning and it's going to smell. And, yeah. yeah, I bet his breath's... Thinks of ourselves anyway, so I. Do you know what I mean? Like, sorry to be re- sorry to put it down on anyone that's really trying to do this on social media. I'm not against you. I'm just saying, you know, it's not the reality that is. Um, they take a lot
2: of time and dedication and effort to get themselves there, and actually, they should be praised for that. But we should also be praising other bodies. I think we need to bring our tolerance, acceptance, and you know, celebration of all other body types up to that level. It's still tokenized to have this select number of people who are beautiful in that body. I think it definitely, we just need to normalise. Normalise is probably the right word. We need to normalise
3: all bodies. I think normalise is a great word if you have flabby arms and (laughs) <laughs> your stomach's a bit saggy because you lost weight too quickly and you know perhaps your back is a bit spotty you're not ugly you're not unattractive you are still sexy in your own way and that is where we are failing and if I hear one more time that <laughs> Gay men should look a certain way. I swear to God, bitches, I'm going to turn my back on you, and walk out the door. I'm joking. I wouldn't do that. But I despise. I, I despise being made to feel like I'm not a good gay because I, because my stomach is big. I worked so hard to lose that weight, only to be left with body dysmorphia. Yeah. And I, you know, I will. I will touch on body dysmorphia very quickly. Body dysmorphia is um, a toxic, burning hatred of oneself to the point where there is almost no return, and it is pointless and useless saying but you're not fat you're attractive you're sexy it doesn't go in i'm not being i'm not saying you should give up on somebody with it but i mean that's that's how hard it is to live with body dysmorphia i am coming through the other side slowly and i the biggest leap i took was to turn my back on what i was thought was i was supposed to look like I don't have straight teeth. They're a little bit yellow from smoking and drinking coffee for too many years, which I've stopped now. And my hair is thinning. I mean, there's barely anything there. Like honestly, it's so thin. I don't know. I don't know how I get through most photos sometimes. You know, my legs, my legs are uh, bowed in the middle because I carried excess weight for so many years. I have a hairy back. I have a stomach bigger than you know. It's, it's honestly it's huge, but I hide it so well. But I'm learning to say I'm actually probably more like ninety percent of all other gay men and I I, I am I'm okay I like you I lost uh, I think I lost six stone a few years ago same
2: yeah. and and it was it was intense and I was young and it, it was crazy and then I felt amazing because I, I had this new body that was mine and I had stopped losing weight, I was riding on a straight line and everything was fine. Then in lockdown I've put on probably around a stone which concerns me because I saw the number change and I've been trying to control that number for so long although actually I could afford to put that stone on, it doesn't change who I am as a person, it doesn't change how people perceive me and I've, I've learned to kind of live with it. Now standing next to my boyfriend who is shorter than me I feel ginormous and I haven't changed I don't change size when he walks in the room right like I feel like I inflate when when he walks in yeah Um, and I I was struggling with this for a few weeks I was like "Oh, oh oh my god and I was like okay I'll start working out I'll start eating healthy and he was like but but you, as you look right now, and as you are right now, is the person that I fell in love with, is the person that I got with. It's important for us to, one, live in the moment. And this yeah. is this is one of my biggest worries. We spend so much time on social media policing people, so much time policing ourselves, and trying to be somebody instead of just being somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I agree with you. Like We're, we're all sexy. We're, we're all lovable. Um,
3: yeah, I was... I, I count myself incredibly lucky to have experienced what I did in the last three years. Um, I would be a very different person now had I not and I don't think I would be a very happy person and so I know what I did was was insane and ridiculous and not everybody has that opportunity so what I wouldn't suggest you do is try to dramatically change your life the way I did in order to see the reality of what's going on around you the saddest reality Spencer and i I know that you'll understand this when I say it the saddest reality is that three years ago if I had met you I would have gone oh no I'm not going to talk to him he's a bit camp <laughs> and I don't mean that horribly to you now you and I we fell in love immediately I know you are probably be a bit bit more obsessed with me than I am with you. But Always. I, I was i I'm sad to think that three years ago I wouldn't have even given you the time of day because I was terrified of you. Not because you're a bad person, but because you you live your truth and you are honest with yourself and I wasn't being that way. And so mm-hmm. you were a threat. And I would have sneered at you and turned my nose up at you. Which is a horrible thing to admit to, but I can I can be brave and be honest and say, Yes yeah, I, I would important. have done that. I do that that's that, that's a very like I said I've, I have been on a very bizarre journey and I'm going to keep using that word it's a terrible word but I have been on a very bizarre journey over the last three years of self-discovery Gosh, I should write this down and sell it <laughs> um, but I do try to use my experiences to share with people what I think is good and what I would think would be good advice to give. I would never, I would never, like I said, please don't go on the bake off if you're unhappy in a relationship. (laughs) It's not the way to do it, but that's how I did it. You know, and um, fear is, is something that I've, I, I've dealt with so much over the th- last three years but as a result I have, I have had the best life not because I get to go to celebrity parties but because I get to be myself and I kind of like myself.
2: You like yourself. I do like myself. Do you love yourself?
3: Yes. I do love myself.
2: That's what it's all about. Listen, this conversation is, has been really inspiring because I think having intergenerational conversations is, is vital because we actually have a lot in common. Like mm. you just said, you, you would have seen me as a threat and, and actually we share a similar experience uh, to some extent and and that's really important for me you've given me a lot of insight into how you know how to look at things and and i hope that i hope that i've done the same
3: for you absolutely you and the, the, I encourage inter, intergenerational <laughs> relationships where possible because we learn from one another. So I I learn from you confident. And I remember the first time we really re spoke, I replied to an Instagram story of yours where you were, I think you you, you were you taking your top off and you'd posted a picture. And I think the picture before that was somebody else who had posted a topless selfie. And it's like, oh, I'm so thick from lockdown. And honestly, there's not an ounce of fat on them. And I just remember thinking, <laughs> you asshole, Who the hell do you think you are? And the next picture was you. And I thought that's sexy, that's sexy because he's gone, do you know what, all this, all this. Have a bit of this. And it wasn't, you weren't tensed, you weren't uncomfortable, it wasn't filtered, it was genuinely sexy because it was you and it was raw and it was honest and I think that's the first time we spoke and I was jealous in that I wish I had been like that at your age when I was your age I genuinely wish I'd been that way um and at the same time I hope that as an older person I can say to you please don't please don't worry about the small stuff because it really is just nothing to worth worrying about it's not it's not you get to this age and I'm going to get to 10 years time and 20 years time and go, oh god Stephen what you were worrying about 37 was was nothing but you you will have a much happier life if you stop worrying or worry less and a, a, a shining example is Sam Smith and I, I first experienced Sam's, what was the
2: first hit? Maybe Stay With Me.
3: I think it was before that.
2: And I always remember
3: thinking they were very <sighs> reserved and you could see shame you could see pain and that came through in the music of course, we loved that, didn't we? That's what we craved, mm-hmm. that, that, that that pain, that heartbreak, you know when they sang Lay, Stay With Me or um, Leave Your Lover, or you know these songs that we could all relate to and I remember thinking you're hurting and I think it was a around last year when they t- started speaking the truth and the reality came out and it was hard and they released they did through this 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 social media storm of hatred and, and bullying but you saw the smile the natural yeah. smile in their social media and you saw it and I thought finally 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 they're happy not they're happy as in like all the pain has gone but we started to see through that 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 broken person who was perhaps a little forced into a, a you know a the category you know forced to lose weight because that's what the people wanted to see yeah and i'm so i'm so happy for them because i just i i you know i got to see somebody becoming a little bit more of their true selves and that was it was honestly it was really really touching to watch this last year um and that's what i hope for everybody i hope that we we don't feel that the gym is 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 the place to find sex or a boyfriend or a girlfriend but you know if you want to go go if you don't want to go don't go i mean i wouldn't recommend overeating to the point of death that's probably a bit, a bit silly but you know have a have a vegetable have a pizza i don't care <laughs>
2: <laughs> just be your true self. exactly well Stephen. two two bottles of wine later how much wine? i'm drunk? not even
3: through one yet come on give okay, me a break okay I'll give,
2: I'll, I'll give you that i'll give you that you just started to slur your words i wasn't sure if this was you know there was a pre-bottle and then a bottle on the
3: episode listen at my age it could be it could be wine or it could be a stroke we don't know yet <laughs> <laughs> Um, It's been an absolute pleasure.
2: And that, everyone, is the end of episode one. Thank you so much for listening. Yes, a huge thank you to Stephen for joining
1: us. If you'd like to follow Stephen's activities, you can find him on Instagram at SpongecakeSquaretin.
2: And Twitter at SpongeCakeSQTin. Don't forget to let us know you've listened to the episode on socials. We're on Instagram at Queer underscore Talk. And on Twitter, we are QueerTalk underscore. Until next time, Bye. bye!